Morse here at uh, the Morse Force. And um, my guest is Peter Rosenberger. He is with the uh, uh, Standing with Hope, Hope the Caregiver. Peter, let's start by um, just having you talk a little bit about your background, how you got into this, and and uh, give me some, you know, some information about yourself. Well, I've been a caregiver now for my wife with severe disabilities for over 33 years. Um, it's been quite a haul. Uh, she had a car wreck before I ever met her. And when I met her, she'd had about 20 surgeries. Then oh, uh, when she had come back to school, I thought, you know, I didn't have any frame of reference of what a wreck could do to somebody like this long term. And I just saw this beautiful young woman. We were in college and I was a piano major, uh, music major, piano study. And uh, she was a vocal performance. And I just we we're here in Nashville, Tennessee. And I just saw this beautiful young woman. I mean, you know, don't take my word for it. Google her. No, I, was, I, I was Googling that. I've seen the picture. <laughs> and she is very she is very good looking she's a looker and yeah. uh, and i and then i heard her sing and then i thought uh, that's it it's over and uh, <laughs> that's her in the back by the way that's her in the background i don't know if you yeah. see those pictures but she's a performer uh but then the surgeries mounted and they just kept coming we were able to have two children uh the doctor said if you're going to have them have them when you're young so i said okay baby doctor says we got to do this I even have a prescription and everything. Yeah. And she didn't think that was nearly as funny as I did. <laughs> and uh, don't know if that's covered under Obamacare, but I bet it's covered under Clinton care. So, but the surgeries kept mounting and the journey just continued to date as of this year, earlier this year, uh, her 80th surgery that we can count. And she's had uh, at least 80, 90, 100 procedures. She had one yesterday of non-surgical stuff or, or lighter stuff. And uh, 90, 100 doctors have treated her, uh, 12 different hospitals, seven different insurance companies, and well over $10 million, just well yeah. over. So it's hard to really even count it at this point. So I've thought about this over the years. Okay, uh, what have I learned through this process? And um, a while back, uh, and we started a prosthetic limb outreach called Standing with Hope. When she gave up her legs, uh, one after each son was born, um, we, we do prosthetics for uh, a group over in uh, West Africa uh, associated with Ghana Health Service. And we teach and equip them how to build legs for their own people. Fantastic. It, it's a great program. We recycle prosthetic limbs. I call mm -hmm. it Operation Footloose. Uh, turn that footloose so we can recycle it. And right. uh, it goes to a local prison run by Core Civic where inmates volunteer to disassemble the legs for us. It's a great program. Only one in the world doing that with inmates. And uh, we started doing this for some time. And then my board of directors came to me and they said, hey, look, you know, we've been watching you for a long time and you have developed a set of skills and understanding of the journey of a caregiver. We want you to start talking about that, writing about that, doing a show about it. And I said, sure, I got nothing else to do. Mm -hmm. and so I, uh, but I started writing about it. I said, what would I say to a fellow caregiver? And that's what birthed my books and the whole radio show now, which has really taken off. Uh, we're, we have the largest radio program for the family caregiver run over 200 stations each week, terrestrial stations. And it's a, it's a, um, it's a real passion of mine, Chuck, because I'm not interested in just giving platitudes or, 
or, you know, saying, hey, take care of yourself or, you know, any idiot can tell you that. Right. I, I speak to the heart of what a caregiver is struggling with. I've been I've been looking at this mountain for so long, so many decades now that I understand the core issue. It's not health care. Health care is important, but it's one and done. Once you know how to deal with it, you got it. You don't have to relearn it every day. Uh, and if you don't have it, it's a self-correcting problem because it's going to take you down one way or the other if you don't have it. Uh, so don't wait until you have the car wreck before you insure the car kind of thing. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, and it's not dealing with doctors. Uh, once you know how to deal with doctors, it's not that complicated. Their work is complicated, but they're still people. I had a doctor one time give me a little bit of lip with Gracie, and I, I pushed back on him and said, you know, Doc, with all due respect, I've been taking care of her since you were in junior high school. So, buddy, let's keep this in perspective. And, uh, you know, so I've learned to deal with doctors. What is the real issue that caregivers deal with? And what I have found is it's always matters of the heart. We become so afraid. We become so feeling obligated and we feel guilty all the time. I call it the fear, obligation, and guilt, the fog of caregivers. And we get lost in this thing. We need somebody to help us get to safety. Uh, mm-hmm. what, does that, what does safety look like for a family caregiver? Uh, what does it look like to help somebody who feels like they're going to start drinking again because they're taking care of their mother that's 90-something years old who is just mean to her and she can't make her happy and she's just really coming unglued? What does that look like? That's a caller I had to my show. Um, yeah, I believe so that. We, we, we deal with this. And then I've expanded this, Chuck. I, I've, I've realized that they say that there are 40-something million taking care of the seniors. Okay. Then there's really about 65 million taking care of somebody with a disability or chronic illness or aging. But I've expanded that conversation on my show to include alcoholism and addiction because those are diseases and they Mm. don't have a cure. There's a recovery. There's no cure. Well, you throw that in and there's well over 100 million people dealing with this. You can't tell me you don't know somebody who is dealing with an alcoholic in their life right now. Oh, yeah. And And, and it's it's going to be like that for the rest of their life. I mean – my, I have a, a close relative of mine whose stepson has been a drug addict from when he was back in elementary school. And they started, they put him on Ritalin. At the time, I said, don't do this. But they didn't listen to me. And that was a gateway for him. And he's uh, he's been in and out of prison. He's got three children with three different women. He's just had a very, very rough. He lost part of his leg. You know, he's had a very rough life. And he's been pretty sober and good for the past maybe year and a half. And he works at it every day. He's very fragile. You know, I mean, it's something he's never going to completely get over. There's always a day-to-day. But uh, neither will they. Neither will your friends. They won't get over it either. And certainly not without any help. And that's the thing. Have you ever thought of them as caregivers? That's not really the word you've used to them. You've like caregivers taking care of somebody in a nursing home. But I tell you that those friends of yours, that's their stepson, mm-hmm. whatever that I don't yeah. know. I don't remember all the relationship, but those friends of yours, they're caregivers. They're taking yeah. care of somebody with a chronic impairment who is affecting their life. And they're standing between that person and even worse disaster. Well, uh, let me ask you. I mean, I have another example in my own life, somebody that's very close to me. It's a very difficult marriage because the wife is. Um, has some very severe depression issues and anxiety issues to the point where I would describe it as mental illness. Everything's fine. And then she gets this kind of look in her eyes. It's like a cross look. And she becomes abusive and very brutal to him and, and calls him 
it's just the energy level. It's almost like a hysteria. Well, and, and, I, and I've included that conversation in the caregiver because, well, it, you know, it, then she comes out of it and she's okay. But what do you, I mean, he's like wondering where to go with his own life and his own marriage, you know, because as he sees it gradually getting worse and gradually becoming more frequent. And, you know, now that their child is off to college, you know, he's thinking about possible divorce. And yet he's afraid that if he divorces her, she's going to implode because she's also physically not well. She's extremely overweight and she's just everything is imploding. Well, there's several things that could happen. One of them is I don't know if they if she's gone to see her doctor recently and maybe even a neurologist. Uh, that may be a good place to start. Um, and I think no matter what happens, though, this is a man who is in desperate need of help himself. And this is something I've also done on my show is I've included family members or friends or whatever loved ones who are dealing with mental illnesses. <coughs> Excuse me. And mm -hmm. that's not something to really think of. But, but I, I, I say to you that if you've got somebody with bipolar or borderline personality disorder or any kind of neurological events going on where they're having behavior changes, let me tell you, it will absolutely wreck the heart of a caregiver. And he doesn't know what to do. He feels trapped. Exactly. This is this is why I wrote the book. My new book is called Seven Caregiver Landmines and How You Can Avoid Them. And this is why I do my show. Uh, this is why I'm doing your show right now, because I am compelled to get out there and extend a lifeline to folks uh, that I've learned over a lifetime of this and help caregivers get to a, a place of safety where they can just catch their breath, Chuck, or take a knee. I can't solve it for it. Right. I, neither can you. But what we can do is help point him to safety so that he can at least get a fighting chance to develop healthier strategies. And what now, is that Peter, this is why and this is why I'm glad I'm having you on today, because, you know, this is the kind of show. I mean, I usually do a political show. Uh, I, I get into the hot issues of the day. But once in a while, I do a show like this where I feel like somebody who's watching it because it goes up on YouTube and it goes on all my networks. If somebody who's watching it is going to say, aha, that's me, that's my life, or that's my husband, or that's my spouse, or whatever, and they're going to figure out how to get help. And in that small way, I can actually improve someone's life, which is really doing something much bigger than simply expounding on ideas that might help. I mean, this is a nuts and bolts saving someone's life. I mean, I once did a show with, with someone in a hospital who had this machine for dealing with prostate cancer and somebody seeing the show said, Oh, that I, I, I might go for a checkup. And they did. And they were, and they caught the cancer. So I feel that that program probably saved their life because I was able to get information out there that could help people. So, Peter, let me ask you this. You, your books outline seven points. By which the caregiver landmines, the caregiver landmines, the way a caregiver, someone who's dealing with situations that I just outlined, Someone can get help themselves because, you know, they're going to, I mean, we all do this. I know I certainly do it. When someone who's close to you is sick, you take on some of the symptoms, you know, you mimic the symptoms. I know I do. And when my daughter was, didn't feel well, I didn't feel well in the same way. And I, I don't know if I, maybe I'm more exaggerated than, than some other no, people. But, but I, I think though, Chuck, the stress of it, weakens our ability to push back against things 
And I don't think that we as caregivers fully appreciate the stress that we deal with. This this friend of yours, let's go back to this friend of yours with the wife who is, who is morbidly obese and dealing with some type of cognitive impairment of some level. Yes. Uh, neurologically, dementia, something, who knows. Mm-hmm. But the stress that this guy is under from yeah. walking around on eggshells like this is horrific. And it does things to our bodies. Stress will torpedo our bodies. And so one of the first things I do in my book is the first thing, first landmine I deal with is getting to your doctor, seeing to your own health needs. Sit down with your own personal physician and tell him or her, hey, this is my life and I am really struggling. That doctor can then make sure they give you the once over twice and uh, make sure that your blood pressure is okay, your sugar levels, all that kind of stuff. Those things, let's, let's, let's start monitoring that. Oh, for sure. And then um, refer you to maybe a, a quality counselor that that doctor has worked with. Pretty much every primary care physician is going to know some type of counselor that they can refer people to. And it doesn't have to be a psychiatrist. It could be a psychologist. It could be a licensed clinical uh, social worker, which I rec- recommend highly because they're a little bit more affordable. and They're kind of the workhorses of the of the counseling industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be a licensed mental health counselor, but somebody who is a professional who can objectively help this person walk through some of these things and just look at all the big pieces on the table and let's start seeing what we got to work with. The other thing I also recommend is, and this is part of your own journey, is is some type of recovery program, some type of twelve step program. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's um, dealing with uh, when you're dealing with alcoholism, there's Al-Anon and that kind of stuff or children of adult alcoholics or whatever. There's so many different kind of 12 step recovery programs. I recommend them highly because right. it, it gets you out. of, And that's another landmine is isolation. So it pushes against that isolation so that you're not just um, festering on your own sorrow, your own misery, your own despair, your own discouragement. And you're actually pushing back against that to say, you know what, I'm going to reclaim my life. I'm going to recover. And um, the, this is going to sound really harsh, Chuck, and I don't mean it such. One of the things you got to get to as a caregiver, you have to understand that your loved one may not make it, but you have to. Because what happens to them if you don't? That's the reality. Now, you can't always ensure that it does. But what happens if you're broke? What happens if you're not in a good place with you lose your job? What happens if you lose your sobriety, like this woman trying to take care of her mother? And and I told her, I said, if you start drinking again, mm. what happens to your mother? That's why your mother's happiness cannot be paramount. Your sobriety has to be. And that's the kind of conversation I have with myself and my fellow caregivers. And And we don't own it. I didn't do this to my wife. Your friend did not do this to his wife. Right. It didn't happen. Can't undo it. Way beyond my skill set. My wife doesn't have any legs. She's in pain all the time. I mean, serious, massive orthopedic trauma. 200 breaks at her wreck, one resident told us. Mm. I mean, she had a massive wreck. She's in pain all the time and been that way since Reagan's first term. I can't undo that. But that's not my job. And so I've learned over the years, okay, what does safety look like? What does a healthy caregiver look like? Why do we need to be healthy caregivers? Because healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And then how do you speak into a caregiver's fog, that disorientation they have, and help them get to safety? Now, you can't make people do it. But what you do is you give them a fighting chance. And let me let me push one more thing. Remember that kid down in uh, Parkland, Florida, that shot up the school last year? Yes, of course. Earlier this year. 
Cops were called 39 times to this kid's house. Mm-hmm. Now, I got to ask you, who called the cops? From best I can understand, there was a couple times where I think it was the neighbors, but from best I can understand, it was this kid's mother. Right. Who's dealing mm-hmm. with a mentally ill kid. And did anybody ever go to her and say, you know, ma'am, this boy is messed up and he may not make it. And he is a danger to himself and others. But you, it's okay for you to get help for you. No matter what happens to him, it's imperative that you stay healthy because if you don't, what's going to happen with him? And she may not have taken anybody up on it, but at least to give him a fighting chance to point them to safety because she died three months later, he shoots up a school. Sometimes caregivers are the last line of defense between a disturbed individual and even and society. And so we, we can't make them do it. We cannot guarantee it, but at least we can give them a fighting chance. And that's what, that's why I do my show. That's why I write my books. That's why I speak about this. That's why I'm on your show, because I want to help as many people get a fighting chance as possible. And I think it's interesting that the caregivers, and we mentioned this extreme case, of course, Parkland, and I also think the same phenomena was there with uh, Sandy Hook, um, that the uh, the mother in those cases didn't really go outside of the, the situation, didn't really reach out to anyone else, didn't alert anyone, kept it all kind of quiet. Maybe they felt there was a stigma attached to it. And, and the result is that it kind of became ingrown. Nothing really was done. There was no one to actually take this kid out and evaluate him and take a look at him and see what was going on or to come in and maybe help and see if there was something that could be done. It all became kind of like a secret thing. And, and the result is that it, impl- it exploded. Well, that's that isolation. It isolates us. And, and I'm trying to penetrate into that as best as possible. That's why your show is so important, because now everybody's listening today to your show is going to at least have the, the vocabulary that right. we, we've got to help point these people to safety. You can't fix it, but you can point them to safety and let them know that it's OK. See, here's the deal. A lot of people don't realize this. It's if they stop acting out, the problem is not over. It's going to take a lifetime to detangle some of these things. If your friend, for example, yes. <laughs> his wife. If she gets to a neurologist, they figure out what's going on with her and it changes her life and she becomes much more alert and she's aware and she's getting a recovery plan. She starts dropping all this weight. Guess what? He still has to work on his own issues because this has damaged him. He has been he's been a collateral damage of her dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't appreciate that and respect that, then he's going to basically deteriorate himself either emotionally or physically financially or all of the above it's so important we understand if we are in proximity in a relationship with somebody who has an impairment of any kind do not think for one moment that that impairment is not affecting us and just because they stop doing it just because this stepson that you mentioned earlier stops taking drugs doesn't mean the family doesn't need to be in some type of program for themselves right no i mean i get that and um you know, you also, I think, have to realize that you can't stop the situation. You know, in the, in the case of this woman who has some physical and mental problems, he's not going to be able to change that. He says, look, I, I have to tell you, you can't yet to stop this. You can't call me those names. You know, if you continue with this, I'm not I'm not sure I'll stay here. 
but but the point is, regardless of what he does, threats or otherwise, or or tries to you know cajole with 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 kindness, it doesn't matter. He's not going to get. She can't change her. Well, yes, or I don't think you can't argue with diabetes. You can't argue with amputation. We right. know, duh. But uh, we will try to argue with a different kind of disease, a disease of addiction or mental illness. We'll argue with that. Okay. And it frustrates us. And if she died today, he's still going to need a lot of help for himself to get him back to a place where he is recovered from what this has done to him. Otherwise, what's going to happen is he's going to fall into another relationship and, and these issues are not going to be resolved and it's going to be a mess. And so this is this is why this is so important that caregivers learn to see to their own well-being. First, I got on a plane years ago out of Del- out of Atlanta on Delta because mm-hmm. everything leaves through Atlanta. That's what Delta stands for. Duh, Delta, yeah. Atlanta. And and the flight attendant said, "What well, we've all heard: put your mask on first. Okay, we've all heard that. We've all heard it about caregivers. Yeah, put your mask on first. Nobody really knows what that means, but we do it anyway. And and but but let me unpack that a little bit. Those flight attendants, every time they say it, they've helped me with my wife to her seat. They know she's disabled. They see the wheelchair. They see her prosthetic legs. And yet, they don't qualify it by saying, put your mask on first unless your wife is severely disabled. They say, hmm. do it anyway. Every single time, because it's counterintuitive. This is what, I, I, I actually thought about this, that I'm going to swerve into politics for just a minute. But, but, yeah. but those of you listening, don't freak out. But when, <laughs> when Trump says, put America first and nationalism, and everybody has a meltdown about that. But as a caregiver, I got to tell you, I really get that because I'm in a much better position to help my wife if I'm in a healthy position myself. And so, you know, America's $20 trillion in debt. Mm-hmm. That's not $21 trillion. That's not a good thing. And as caregivers, I understand that we've got to keep good boundaries. This friend of yours has to have good boundaries with that wife who's mentally ill. Well, America clearly has boundary issues. And and imagine, and we're not very, we're, we're fractured as a country. Imagine though what we could do if we were united, if we got this debt load off of us. Imagine what we could do as as leaders in the in the world to point people to a better place, a better way of governing, a better way of doing things. And and so when when Trump says all these things, everybody kind of has a collective meltdown. But I'm thinking, why? You obviously haven't taken care of somebody in this kind of situation long enough to understand that that principle really does work. Of course, and the fact the fact that the country's a portion of the country is having such a meltdown over something that makes such basic common sense. You put your own interests first, and then you can help others. Not to if be you selfish. Want to. Not no, to be it's selfish. not a selfishness. It's actually quite the opposite. It's natural to help others. That's part of who we are. Is it's kind of baked in. But you have to take care of your own person first and foremost before you can do that. You can't, you know, sacrifice yourself and expect to do any good to anyone, let alone yourself. But the fact the country has such a meltdown over that, it, in a way, maybe it's a reflection on the condition of our country, of, well, of our society. But I've never heard a flight attendant say, put your mask on second. That's right. Never heard. And so if that principle works for that then why can't that same concept be exported into other areas of our life that I'm not because I want to be selfish, but because I really, I understand that the the needs of this individual are such that 
I need to be better equipped. Lifeguards do not jump in and just start helping people. They There's a system of how they get to people so that they don't get pulled under themselves. They're trained for this. If those basic concept of helping people who are at risk apply in those situations, I suggest to you that those concepts work across the board. And I believe they do. And and I think it's foolish for us to think that we can allow people just to pour into our country without any kind of structure, vetting, boundaries, and saying, we want you to come, just do it legally. I don't mind people coming to my house. I just don't want them coming in through the window. You know? Right. And also we can help people in their own countries. Um, and America has been very generous in that way um, without necessarily putting out while preserving our own home. You're absolutely right. You know, you kind of have people breaking in the window. It's, a, it's breaking and entering. It's, you know, in the same way that the individual has a right to decide who comes into their own private place of domicile. Our nation has a right to decide who comes in to our country or who doesn't. And we don't have to explain it. Well, instead, instead of just taking all these people from Honduras, why don't we see if we can't, by being a healthier America, help Honduras be a healthier Honduras? That's right. That's right. I agree. So I mean, that's, that's it's that's obvious right. and common sense. You know, yeah. I mean, that's there's there's nothing like caring for a disabled woman for a couple of decades to figure out some common sense things of what will and what will not work. Well, because you're open to uh, what's going on and you've learned how to cope with and compensate for a very difficult situation. And it's given you a certain wisdom, which you share in your books. Um, Peter, mention your books, how people can get them, how they can get more information about you and your excellent website. All right. It's hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. The books are right there. You can just click on them and get them. And if you're a pastor, priest, counselor, You've got people in your in your congregation, Rabbi. You've got people in your congregation that are struggling with this. Get seven caregiver landmines today. It's like a field manual for caregivers. Mm-hmm. Get it today and and put it in the hands of somebody you know struggling, or read it yourself and then do it uh, for all the pastors and clergy and so forth out there. I, I I could not recommend this more. I went to a lot of counselors throughout my journey, and most of them looked at me and were just clueless. They didn't know what to mm-hmm. say. I had one counselor say, "I would give you a book to read, but you're the guy to write it." I wrote the book. Insightful, yeah. I wrote exactly. the book, and and I've got thirty plus years of experience in this, and um, that's there's no way other people are going to be able to 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 mount that learning curve in time. The pressure is just too tough. You don't have to. I'm the crash test dummy of caregivers. If you could fail at it, I failed at it. You know, but you but, know, your work reminds me a little bit. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Viktor Frankl. I love Viktor Frankl. Yeah, I mean, logotherapy. Uh, he came out of Auschwitz. And wrote a book about his experience and how he, his internal spiritual life and his intellectual life, it saved him going through something that stronger, younger men did not survive. You know, a lot of it had to do with his, he became very street smart. He was able to grab opportunities. But, you know, he talks about the search for meaning and the search for uh, the, the, the taking in of brief moments of great beauty and putting him in a place. He found beauty in the midst of the horror of the Holocaust. Yeah. Exactly, and, and I think that if he can do it, then I can do it too. And if I can do it, anyone else can do it. And that, but but we got to have somebody help us show the way a little bit. You know, we get lost, and it it comes at us. And and you know, Chuck, I'd be lying if I told you I'd figure this out by myself. I didn't. I've had a whole bunch of people come along my life and, and deposit things. But all I've tried to do is aggregate what I've learned over a lifetime. 
and make it simple for fellow caregivers. I speak fluent caregiver. And and right. so that's it. I mean, I, I'd love to tell you it's more complicated than that. Uh, my book is so easy. You can read it in the bathroom. I know because that's where I wrote it. No, I'm just there kidding. You go. <laughs> no, but look, I mean, it's this is every situation is different and unique and every two people are different. So, you know, you have to adapt it to what you're dealing with and who you are. And, um, you know, you're right in, in pointing out that there's no answer. This is all the stuff of life. We're all trying to cope with and deal with all sorts of situations. You know, there's an amount of suffering in life, and it can be noble if you know how to sort of know your journey, know who you are, know your meaning, that you can you can find um, ability in it. Well, I want to say one last thing for your friends. Yes. Um, and uh, both both sets, the guy with his wife and then the family with the kid that's on drugs. And this is for everyone that's listening is dealing with something that you just it's just it's just beating you down. You're never going to feel better about these things. These are horrific things. My wife is in pain all the time. She doesn't have legs and doesn't show any signs of letting up. This thing is going to it's it's a it's a haul. You're not going to feel better about it. But that's not the goal. The goal is not to feel better about it. The goal is to be better in it. And that we can do. Victor Frankl showed me that in his book. Scripture sh- sh- shows me that, that I can be better. I can be calmer. I can be healthier. I can even be more joyful in this. Um, but it doesn't come easy. It's not, it's not without pain and sorrow and a lot of tears. But they don't have to be tears of rage and despair. You know. And if I do nothing else but to help my fellow caregivers grieve in a healthy manner, but not out of just clenched fist and rage, but letting it go and recognizing that this is beyond your ability to fix, but it's not beyond your ability to walk through in a place of calmness. That you can do. And and somebody right. showed me how, and I want to just extend the favor to others. Well, you're doing a great job, Peter. And um, your books, again, they're available on your website at Caregiver. They're available at Amazon. It's hopeforthecaregiver.com. Uh, Peter Rosenberger is my guest. And uh, Peter, listen, I really appreciate having you on today. And um, it's been a really inspiring conversation. Thanks a lot. Chuck, it is a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time and kind of going off into this subject matter from your usual stuff. It means a lot that you took the time on it, okay? All right, Peter. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and man. I'll talk to you soon.